Please, my dad is making it hurt. What's up, everyone? Welcome back. It's Cam here with Matt. Got Chris again. Uh, love to have him here, helping Happy out, here. bringing out some good, good perspective on some stuff. His beard's not as diabolical these days. It's fresh trim. There you go. There you go. Fresh trim. I like it. So, starting out with uh, recent events type thing, um, Albuquerque kind of dealt with an interesting scenario. Um, for officers listening, this is a good one to think about. Um, and then for people who aren't officers that listen to this, it's, it's kind of interesting to see how and why police respond in certain ways. But essentially, this was a uh, active shooter incident, um, but it was in a neighborhood. And mm. I don't know that we ever really train that or think about that too often. Usually active shooter, we're thinking a school. Yeah. Um, lately we've been seeing a lot at like warehouses or businesses, that type of stuff. Right. So this was very interesting on how do you block off those roads? How do you identify where the person is? Are they shooting from inside a house, from a car behind bushes in a tree on a roof? Like there was a lot of different scenarios on this. And this Um, one's Albuquerque, Albuquerque. Um, he had shot, um, several cars. There's, there's, Pretty good video on this one. Um, the male's going through some sort of mental health crisis. I don't know if it was drug-induced or, or what it was. But he's talking as the cars roll up to this four-way intersection next to his house, and he's shooting some sort of what sounds like a high-powered rifle. And he makes contact with several people to include a juvenile female in the passenger seat of a car. Then he kills another female in another car. Officers get there. And Albuquerque, if you're interested, look it up on their their city's webpage. They have it broken down timelines of exactly when they identified what they had, when they identified they had someone shot, all those things. Officers end up finding the male um, out on the street walking around. Um, He was, it looks like, surrendering. They used less lethal on him. Um, Ultimately, he went back towards his guns, and then officers did eliminate the threat at that point. But... For, for all, all all intents and purposes, it was pretty it was pretty cool because um, that's unique being in a neighborhood. Yeah, you know? the juvenile female that was shot, dad is dad is there. Um, he's the driver. The second officer on scene is a SWAT operator who's also a paramedic. So he starts tending to the aid and stuff like that. And one of the things I talked about with uh, my shift was, you know, if you're that first officer on scene, one of the things to think about is keep your head on a swivel and talk the dad through giving aid yep. to his kid. Right. You don't want to be sucked in working on that injury. And then the guy comes up, you know, like our last episode and just start shooting at you. And you didn't really know where it came from. Right. Right. Um, make sure you have that head on a swivel, but it's an interesting thought process. How do you respond to that? You know, for officers listening, think about parking short, putting on your active shooter kit. If you have one, so your, your Kevlar, your up armored vest, and then listening finding what we call a stimulant, you know, where are those shots being fired from and walking into it or running into it instead of driving into it. Yeah. And the best you can, how, how do you uh, evaluate the situation quick enough that you can contain it and not let it grow? Exactly. When you're in a neighborhood like that, you have to think of the innocence and the people in the houses and people that might be walking their dog or jogging or whatever the case may be. That's interesting. And that's a nightmare. Yeah. yeah. All intents. I, yeah. I, I do believe Albuquerque did a pretty good job with it. Um, there's obviously ways you can improve, but that's 
pretty much every tactical situation, anyone from just low-level law enforcement or infantry all the way up to special operations or SWAT will tell you that right. you can probably learn something from every single deployment. Absolutely. Absolutely. So yeah. um, it's a pretty good one, but yeah, I'd, I'd encourage you to look into it. Um, so moving on to our topic today, OMG, and we're not talking about text messaging, right, Chris? <laughs> no. What are we talking about today? So OMG, we're going to dive in a lot with this topic, but OMG is the acronym for Outlaw Motorcycle Gang, mm-hmm. uh, not Oh My Goodness. <laughs> and don't tune us out. Yeah, exa- don't, don't, for those of you that have no interest or for those of you that are just like, no, I'm just going to go to my Sons of Anarchy episodes, this is good <laughs> information. We're going to be talking about stuff that civilians can be looking for them. And almost everyone, yeah, almost everyone has these around them. And Chris is going to dive into this a little bit, you know, in depth, but, um, yeah, it's, it's, this will be an interesting one for sure. Stay tuned. Yeah. Obviously, hopefully everybody gets something out of it. Um, you know, with, with the unit that I'm a part of, we're a proactive unit. Part of our, uh, mission is, is gangs investigating gang crime, uh, gang suppression prevention. And, uh, a big part of it is, is outlaw motorcycle gangs. And when we talk about outlaw motorcycle gangs, like I said, I'm going to dive into it and we're going to break it down because I don't want people to confuse uh, outlaw motorcycle gang for a motorcycle club. That's what I was going to ask and and make sure that we define that first for our listeners. What is the difference between a club and a motorcycle gang? So, I mean, you, you can see them all over the place, motorcycle clubs, MCs or riding clubs, RCs, they're everywhere. Um, not every MC, not every RC is a gang. Uh, when we talk about outlaw motorcycle gangs, we're, we're usually talking about specific groups. A lot of times those groups wear what we call the 1% diamond. And I'm going to break that down and explain it. Now, for our listeners, is this something that, that law enforcement has come up uh, ourselves? Is this defined by the government? Like, how exactly do they differentiate, uh, differentiate a club versus a gang? So let me read that real quick. Let me pull it up here. It's the uh, federal definition of what constitutes a gang. And this is whether it's a street gang, you you know, your your Bloods, your Crips, your Nortenos, your Serenos, or outlaw motorcycle gangs. And the definition for a gang from the federal standpoint First and foremost, an association of three or more individuals. Uh, in order to be classified a gang, as a gang, you have to have three people. And, and, and this, everything takes comes into play. So as I read through these, all of this has to exist for you to be classified as a gang. So first, an association of three or more individuals whose members collectively identify themselves by adopting a group identity, which they use to create an atmosphere of fear or intimidation frequently by employing one or more of the following, a common name, slogan, identifying symbol, sign, tattoo, or other physical marking style or color of clothing, hairstyle, hand sign, or graffiti, whose purpose in part is to engage in criminal activity and which uses violence or intimidation to further its criminal objective, whose members engage in criminal activity. Uh, The association may also possess some... uh, 
some of the following characteristics. The members may employ rules for joining and operating within the association. The members may meet on a reoccurring basis. The association may provide physical protection to its members or others uh, from others. The association may seek to exercise control over a particular geographic location or, or region, or it may simply uh, defend its perceived interest against rivals. The association may have uh, an identifying structure. So that is the, the federal definition of what is a gang. And that's how it's defined, and that's how local law enforcement agencies uh, statewide... Every state is going to have the same definition basically but it's going to be defined in in state code and law as well and and all of the ones that i've looked at and that i've read pretty much follow the same guideline and to break it down just a small small bit more is that is that a sentence that we'll accept small bit more small bit more small bit more i'm going to put it up on the board i once we create a board that it made you think a little bit right anyways i'm following but uh I've been told that sometimes we kind of, you know, streamline some of our lingo and stuff. So to break it down a little bit more. So, you know, you get uh, a college that's got a bunch of bullet bikes that want to ride together and they all have like this little like cut and it's got like this cool, like, I don't know, football symbol or something. That's not an outlaw motorcycle gang because it doesn't. Or even a gang. Yeah, exactly. That's just a, a group of guys getting together, having fun. So. Yeah, because you and maybe doing stupid things on the roadway, speeding, wheelies, whatever doesn't necessarily stupid constitute to some, you know, exciting to others. Yeah, whatever the you know, I'm I'm not here to judge. I do, but I don't. But when we're talking about the federal definition of what Chris just broke down for us, that's how the gangs are defined and differentiated between just the guys that are going out riding together. Yeah. And to break it down simply. Like I said, you have to have three or more people that identify as something, and they have a, some sort of identifier. So whether it's a common color, whether it's a common tattoo, whether it's a common patch that they wear. But on top of that, like, you know, to, to play off UCAM there, a football team meets that, right? You've got, you've got three or more individuals that are wearing the same uniform. The difference is they're not out there cr- committing crimes. Right. And their purpose isn't to intimidate and, and create an atmosphere of, fear to to control a territory to control their interests that's the difference because you'll you'll when you talk to some gang members they'll say well law enforcement's all a gang you guys are just oh they call us gangs all the time everybody we all wear the same uniform and we wear the badge and we're out there carrying a gun and but we don't commit crimes well not all of us I mean, we did talk about oh, a, a trooper uh, recently. Last episode, but then, you know. But, uh, he didn't participate with uh, two other people. As a group, he doesn't have a badge anymore. Let's, <laughs> yeah, let's, yeah, yeah. let's point that out. He former. lost. <laughs> he lost that. Yeah, former. So that's the difference is, is your group is out committing crimes. And so when we're talking about motorcycle gangs, outlaw motorcycle gangs, uh, the difference between a motorcycle club and a motorcycle gang is going to be the, the, the commission of a crime. Yeah, let me let me give this one in addition to what Chris uh, defined. This came from justice.gov. Outlaw motorcycle gangs are organizations whose members use their motorcycle clubs as conduits for criminal enterprises. OMGs are highly structured criminal organizations whose members engage in criminal activities such as violent crime, weapons trafficking, and drug trafficking. And it goes on from there. But that's what I want to kind of talk about 
Now we've kind of we've separated it, talked about what is the difference between motorcycle club and motorcycle gang, with the definitions that we have, and for our listeners, what should they be looking out for within their neighborhoods and their cities? Um, should they be concerned about well, motorcycle gangs being in their area? Yes, absolutely. But at the same token, I don't want citizens, I don't want listeners out there freaking out when they see a group of motorcycles because you don't have to. Um, there is a difference. There is a difference between just a motorcycle club and an OMG, an outlaw motorcycle gang. And a lot of it, like I said, said it earlier, comes down to that 1% diamond. And I kind of explain where that came from. So where the term OMG and where it all kind of began and where this 1% diamond came from, in uh, 1947, Hollister, California, July 4th weekend, you have a massive rally that's taking place. They, uh, it was an AMA-sponsored AMA event, so the American Motorcycle Association was sponsoring what they called their Gypsy Tour. It was a racing circuit event, and they were holding it in, uh, that weekend in Hollister, California. They had about, they estimate between two to 4,000 attendees and that's all citizens, not just people there attending on a motorcycle. But they had about roughly between two to 4,000 attendees in Hollister, California for this weekend. Little tidbit, they had seven police officers. I'm sorry. <laughs> they had seven? Seven. Hollister, the Hollister Police Department in 1947. I'm sure that went over. Sure went seven over. Officers. They hit different back then. You know, they had the Billy Clubs. <laughs> it was for real. Uh, <laughs> right? I see what you did there. Yeah, I'm sure they hit harder. <laughs> But you, so in 1947, you have this, this big get together and, you know, it's a motorcycle rally. It's a race. They're, they're sponsoring this event and, and they estimated there were about 150 motorcyclists that attended the, this event. Now, just prior to 1947, we just ended World War II and you had all these veterans coming home that just couldn't find their place in society. And rightfully so. I mean, you know, those brave men and women that, that served, that, that went over there and kicked butt, came back, and, and a lot of them had PTSD. We didn't know what PTSD yeah. was, so they're just having a hard time fitting in. Hard to integrate, yeah. Hard to integrate back into society and find your place, and a lot of them turned to motorcycle clubs because of the thrill of being on a bike, being on the open road, being with a bunch of buddies. Like-minded individuals. They yeah. get it. And, and, and you just want to get out and party. You know, you want to party with like-minded people. And so you had all these veterans that are out there that started joining clubs, joining motorcycle clubs to get that, that, that feeling of brotherhood again. And so you had a lot of motorcycle clubs that attended this Hollister event. Uh, a few of them pissed off bastards of Bloomington, uh, the booze fighters, Market Street Commandos, top, uh, top Hatters at Motorcycle Club and Galloping Goose Motorcycle Club were some of the the larger clubs that attended this event. Well, during the weekend, a lot of drinking, a lot of partying, a lot of a lot of hot heads, and it sparked off a a massive riot. Uh, a, a simple bar fight turned into a massive riot. Mm. I mean, almost burnt the entire city to the ground. Seven officers. They almost had it. They they almost had it. <laughs> they had it. Almost had it. So close. Contained it to the city. And, and, you know, at the time, I mean, you're talking 1947. Don't, don't let it grow. <laughs> you're talking 1947, right? Like, 
So the rest of America is looking at the Hollister riot and being like, whoa, what the heck happened? Like you had all these motorcyclists and these motorcycle clubs and should we be afraid? Well, the MM, the MA, AMA. AMA, thank you. Got you. The American Motorcycle Association came out and said, look, 99% of motorcyclists are good, decent, law-abiding citizens. And that's where the 1% came from. So everybody... I can agree with that, too. I, I, I've met a ton of them. Absolutely. Yeah, I agree with that. And so the AMA came out and said 99% of motorcyclists are good, decent, law-abiding citizens. And from that, society looked at it and said, well, okay, then there's 1% that are the criminal element, the, the outlaws, the outliers, right? And those groups took to that and took that to heart and said, yeah, you know what? We are the 1%. We're going to set ourselves apart from the rest of society and we're going to, we are going to be that 1%. And so that's where that 1% comes from. So you have, there, there are several, um, quite a few actually, but, um, motorcycle clubs that, that display what we call the 1% diamond on their, their, their cuts or their colors, their vest. And that 1% says to the rest of us that we are the outlaws, that we are that 1% that you have to be concerned about. And so, and so for our listeners, who is that 1%? So like I said, there, there are a lot of them. I mean, there's, there's, pro- there's hundreds of 1% clubs that are out there. But the dominant seven, or the big seven, is what the, the Department of Justice calls them. There, there's seven of them. And the Department of Justice has, has labeled these seven as criminal organizations. Okay, so similar to the mafia, these are, these are organized crime. They are organized criminal organizations. The big seven are your Hells Angels, your Outlaws, your Pagans, your Banditos, your Vagos, Sons of Silence. Those are your seven your big seven is what we call them. So when you're talking about organization, um, and again, I know I know some of these shows like Sons of Anarchy, people may be ahead of the curve, but for people who don't know and, and who are listening to this, when we're talking about organized crime, how are these one percenters set up? So like I said, the, each one of these, these uh, those seven that I just listed off, they all wear a, and proudly wear a one percent diamond. They are claiming they are, they are the outliers. They are the outlaws, and rightfully so. I mean, countless uh, police investigations, undercover operations with each of these organizations has shown that every single one of them are involved in uh, drug smuggling, weapon smuggling, murder, murder for hire, um, prostitution. Um, I mean, the list goes on and on, but extortion, theft, money laundering, they're all involved in it, and they are all criminal organizations because of those crimes. You know, going back to that definition that we read earlier, these organizations, they're massive, right? So you have more than three individuals that are all wearing the same patch, the three-piece patch that we call it. It's, it's got their top rocker, which is going to have their name. It's going to have the center patch, which is their, their mascot, so to speak. And the bottom rocker is going to indicate which state or area they claim that territory, and that's huge. That's huge in this world. Is that territory is is everything to them? Um, a lot of people have died because of that bottom rocker. Because you're wearing the state that we want to claim, or 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 uh, 
that we we believe belongs to us. So back to my question um, with the organization. So you, you're talking about how they're identified and things like that. Yeah. And when we, we speak of the one percenters and the, the gangs that you just mentioned, who runs it? Like, how is it organized? And, and give our listeners kind of a, a, a delve into the setup of what these gangs look like. So each of these clubs are highly organized. They're highly structured. And so it, it's going to break down. You're going to have a national. Most of them will have some sort of national uh, officer and hierarchy. So you're going to have a president, a vice president, a sergeant at arms. And everyone's going to – every club doesn't necessarily – mimic the other one some may may have a position that another might not or vice versa or whatever but for the most part most of them all have a president a national president and a national vice president national sergeant at arms that that kind of dictate the organization nationally now some of these majority of those seven are are international clubs they have presence in in multiple countries for instance break it down hell's angels has uh, roughly 3,500 members worldwide, for uh, 467 charters, that their their group, their chapter, their clubs, their individual clubs, and they're in 59 countries. So yeah. they're an international organization, right? Uh, Outlaws, Outlaws MC has roughly 3,000 members, uh, 150, uh, 137 ch- uh, chapters in 12 countries. Uh, Pagans don't have any real presence outside of the country yet, but they be, they have about thirteen hundred members here within the United States and a hundred chapters, and that's growing uh, pretty rapidly because of their expansion and their growth. Mongols have about two thousand members worldwide, with uh, roughly one hundred and fifty chapters. Again, they're they're aggressively expanding across the country and worldwide. They're in twenty two countries. Uh, banditos have roughly 2,500 members, 303 chapters in 22. Uh, sorry, Mongols have, or in 11 uh, countries, banditos in 22 countries. And, and Vagos, five countries, 20, uh, 200 chapters, and about 3,500 members. So you've got a lot of members in each They're spread group, out. Right? And they're, they're spread out. Some of, them, some of the clubs will, will have separate leadership for international and U.S., some are all one large organization. But like I said, coming specifically talking about the U.S., you're going to have a national president, somebody that's going to dictate for the club overall. And then each chapter, so the chapter or a charter in the Hells Angels um, instance, is going to be in a, in a geographic area. So, for instance, let's use L.A. as an example. You're going to have the Hells Angels, they're going to wear, and, and a member of, of uh, Hells Angels Motorcycle Club in L.A. is going to be wearing his cut or his colors, depending on which side of the country you're on, right? So he's going to wear his cut or his colors, and it's going to have the Hells Angels top rocker, that death head center patch, and it, the bottom rocker is going to say California. Well, on that front of his vest, he's either going to have some sort of patch on the front that's going to indicate his chapter, which would say Los Angeles, that's the area that he belongs to. So that chapter is going to also have a hierarchy within it, a president, a vice president, sergeant at arms, so forth. So they're highly structured, highly organized. And all the membership reports to that, that hierarchy. So if you're, you're just a, a patched member of the Hells Angels in a, in a Los Angeles chapter, you're going to be reporting to your 
president in that chapter or in that charter, and then vice versa, your charter is going to answer to the national president. Mm. Now, for, for our listeners, you mentioned a little bit earlier some of the things that they could be involved with. Yep. Is Now, the give me, because drugs is money. And when you're talking about yep. organized uh, gangs such as these, is it mostly drug trafficking associated with weapon traffic? Are those the two big ones that you and the government recognize as, as the two large criminal activities that these individuals are a part of? Yeah. Uh, I mean, as far as for money's sake and profitability, profitability, um, those are going to be your two biggest movers. Obviously, the other thing that, that these groups are highly involved in is the violence, the violence towards each other. Not necessarily violence to to the public. So it's like a territory thing. It's a territory thing, and it's a rival thing. Um, these groups aren't going to go out there and terrorize the public, like unless you cross them. Like I'll, I'll leave it. To, I'll, I'll put it that way. You run into a group of hell's angels at a bar and you cross them. You're you're, you're probably going to get you're probably going to get the snot beat out of you. But they're not going to target you just to target you. Usually, it, it's because of disrespect. So if you disrespect them, they're not going to take too kindly to it. However, obviously, their crimes affect the community overall. Right. Drug distribution, weapons distribution, um, money laundering, uh, murder for hire, obviously, um, and, and extortion as well. I mean, some, some groups utilize extortion with businesses, similar to what street gangs might do as far as saying, hey, for protection. You're, you're in our territory yeah. and we're going to protect you, so you're going to give us X amount of profit to do so. So those are the types of things that are going to affect the community. Like I said, they're not going to go out and just target community members. The violence within the organizations is generally directed uh, because of the rivalries between clubs and that territory uh, that they're, they're seeking. So some of the things that people see in Hollywood, how, re- how real are the shows on TV where people, I mean, it, it's popular. Talk about some of the, one of the new ones. Yeah. Lions, Sons, of, Sons Anarchy of Anarchy was a big one. and and How real are those shows? When people watch them to see the lifestyle that the motorcycle gang lives, what can they expect to be true? What what can they expect to be Hollywood? Obviously, it's, it's Hollywood. So take it with a grain of salt. That's what I'm always going to tell you because what you – I mean, we, we can attest to it as far as watching cop shows, uh, you mm-hmm. know, you watch a cop show and every episode they're getting into a shooting. Well, that's for rating purposes, right? Like people don't want to watch us investigate a cold case. Like, I mean, some do, I mean, their, their show is dedicated to it, but you, your, your primetime dramas, every episode yeah. you're getting into a, uh, you know, an officer involved shooting because that's sexy and that's what sells. And that's what, that's what gets you ratings. So think, you know, take that as well with a grain of salt when you're watching sons of anarchy and Mayans, what you're seeing isn't, necessarily going to portray what what a club or an organization may be involved in however i will put it this way sons of anarchy their technical advisors uh two of their technical advisors one was a former hell's angel member that that left the club the other was sonny barter the national president and well former national president for the hell's angels Mm. he also starred in the show as well and and not only that there were there were overall there were four 
individuals that played in Sons of Anarchy that had pretty significant roles in the show as well, mind you. These weren't just like, you know, extras. These were these were actors. These were guys that had a significant role in the show. Four of them had ties to the Hell's Angels, whether they were current members or former members. Um, and so take take that for what you you want to say. Uh, to me, I, I look at it and I'm like, well, what I'm watching, there's some truth to it. Uh, obviously, again, going back to it, take it with a grain of salt, but there's there is some truth to it. Mayans uh, is currently running. Uh, one of the prominent actors in that is is a huge Mongol supporter, and so take it for what it's worth. I see. So you kind of broke it down. Here's how the public can identify, and for our listeners. When you're out there and you're within your community, here's how I identify them. You kind of broke it down to what the patches represent. You talked about the organization and a lot of the crimes that they're a part of. And you also uh, probably ease some minds in saying, look, they're more than likely not going to target you. You leave them alone, they're going to leave you alone. However, their activity does bring crime to your city, to your neighborhoods. How can our listeners and how can the general public assist law enforcement and a unit such as yours in helping to track these guys and, and keep law enforcement updated on their activities? Uh, you know, reach out to a tip line and let them know, like, hey, you know, this guy lives here or whatever. And, and to go out to, you know, some of, your, some of our listeners, you may live next door to one of these guys and you see him riding all the time, whether it's, you know, Hell's Angel, a Mongol, an outlaw, a pagan, a vago, a bandito, or Sons of Silence, or whatever. Um, they may be the friendliest guy on your block and willing to help you out. I'm not going to say that that they're all bad people because they do hold jobs, they pay taxes, you know, they, they go about in the community. But the organization overall as a whole, law enforcement knows what they've been involved in. We've proven that over and over and over again. So I'm not going to, you know, paint everybody with a broad brush. I just want to throw that out there. Um, you know, I've talked to some some guys that um, are, are members of these clubs, had some pretty decent conversations with them. Um, so, uh, you know, I'll, I'll throw that out there. They do do a lot of charity work. A lot of that's a ploy to, to get you to to say, well, you know, I, I saw, the, saw the Hells Angels do a, a, a charity toy drive for Toys for Tots or... Um, you know, the Salvation Army or whatever, they can't be that bad. Well, uh, Pablo Escobar <laughs> did the same thing. So he was throwing money left and right to the citizens to gain their trust and to gain right. their empathy. And so don't don't be deceived. Um, when, when you wear a patch, and not all of them wear this, but th- there are some, you know, when you wear a patch that says God forgives and... and you know, insert here, Hells Angels, Mongols, Banditos, Outlaws, but uh, God forgives, Outlaws don't, or God forgives, Banditos don't. You're saying something to everybody. You know, you're you're not afraid of violence, and and you're going to take care of business. So like I said, um, you may live next door to them. You may work with them. And they might be, you know, some of the nicest individuals you know, but obviously the organization overall, something that we're concerned about, whether it's, you know, that they're in our communities. And I have no doubt that uh, those individuals, organization before everything else. Yeah, um, absolutely. That's what they need. I mean, they can be nice people face-to-face, kind of what you're describing, but that mentality of organization or gang 
over everything else is a true thing. Well, and, and to read too, I'm not going to tell you which club this is, but this is a, a piece off their website just to give you an idea too, um, kind of the mentality here. But um, it says that this club is your next door neighbors, your managers, your your business partners, your professionals, your journeymen, your military veterans, uh, and lifelong motorcycle brothers, LEOs, and then they put in parentheses, law enforcement officers need not apply. So every single one of these clubs, every single one of these organizations, they have a proving process, you know, an application process, a prospect period where you prove to the club that you can belong. Vetting. They, they, yeah. yeah, it's a vetting process to show, one, your worth to the club and, you know, that you can be trusted. And so when I read something like that, that, Law enforcement officers need not apply. Well, why? Why are we being excluded? What What are you doing that that would keep us from 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 joining your club? And I've listened, you know, I've I've been to many trainings, um, obviously with my position, and I've had the opportunity to listen to current and former members of some of these clubs, and and I've heard all of them say the same thing: that you're the police. We expect you to be the police. We expect you to be better than us. We're outlaws. You're not. And so to me, I read that. Well, obviously, I know why you don't want me to join your club. I know what you're involved in, or we at least believe what you're involved in based off past past experience and investigations. Um, but obviously, you're not going to let a law enforcement officer into your organization when you have criminal activity taking place. So, yeah. Yeah, not to go all the way back to the beginning, but you brought up some interesting stuff. I don't know that I really knew the history too well, but kind of take it to, to my, my history of, you know, being in the military. Uh, when I got out of the military, I, I struggled with the civilian life, missing the brotherhood. I just got done with deployments. Um, a lot of what you just said was very true with me. And I ended up joining a motorcycle, just a group uh, of people that, you know, most of which were veterans as well. And we rode around and stuff like that to kind of like conversate and stuff like that. And I attribute it to a couple of things on the military's brotherhood, especially on deployments. Um, but I was in a unit called third light armored recon and the nickname was Wolfpack. And it's, it's kind of, that's, that's the, the thought process I have with kind of these gangs. And you think about dogs when, three dogs get together. It's like a gang and they have a gang mentality. That's where you'll see a lot of dogs attacking their owners and stuff like that. Cause they feed off each other. Mm-hmm. And that's where a lot of this violence and stuff can come from. If us three are hanging out and someone comes up and disrespects Chris, you know, we're going to be like, what, what was that about? You know, type <laughs> thing. And then we're going to be like, Chris, you going to just take that. So all of a sudden <laughs> he's got to puff his chest on to the person that disrespected him. And then it just becomes more of an issue. So it's, it's kind of interesting to hear the history, and I can see where you know that comes from, at least from the military standpoint. Well, I, I can understand why individuals, like you said, would, would want to join a motorcycle club. You know, being on a bike, it's exhilarating. It's it's a lot of fun. There, there's a lot of freedom being being on that bike that you're not getting in a car. And now you add a bunch of buddies in it that that you have camaraderie with. You know. Law enforcement is very similar to to the military. The brotherhood that we have and we feel that thin blue line, it's real. And uh, you know, if 
get a bunch of buddies, you know, like the group of us, and we go get on a motorcycle and we go ride, I can understand it and and very much uh, can see the 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 drive to want to be a part of a club. What I don't understand is the need or the drive to want to be a one percenter. Right. It's just the individuals that are just no respect, no respect uh, for society or for laws or anything like that. It's gang over everything, like we mentioned. But yeah, I, I, I good points. You know, I had the uh, had the opportunity to to listen to a, uh, a former Hell's Angel member talk about his time in a club. And one of the things that he said, you know, the driving factor for him to join um, the Hells Angels. He's like, you know, he's like, when I walk into a bar by myself, I'm just me. But when I walk into a bar and I've got that color on my back, I'm a badass. Yeah. And, and everybody in that bar looks at you and says, I'm not messing with that guy. And he's like, it was all about it was all about the respect and the power and feeling that power and and that a lot of that one like I said that one percent they they take that to heart they are the outliers they are the outlaws and uh, I I can understand wanting to be a part of an MC I I don't understand the part the uh, the need or want to wear that one percent right there with you right there with you good stuff. I appreciate you coming on last two weeks. Awesome. Awesome information. Uh, Sons of Anarchy. <laughs> Mayans. Go ahead and keep watching your sitcoms. But just know that the information that you received here today can really help your local law enforcement, your state law enforcement, federal law enforcement. Keep tabs on these individuals. Um, should you be concerned about what they bring in your neighborhood? I think that's really good stuff. Yes, you should be concerned about what they bring into your city and your neighborhood. But in terms of you being a target yourself, you can probably ease your mind yeah. and yeah. just know that as long as you leave them alone, more than likely they're going to leave you alone. Yep. Appreciate you coming. Appreciate Came strong. We'll have to have both of you on sometime. You guys can duke it out, throw furniture over. Jared, if you're listening, I know you're looking forward to it. <laughs> Until next time, everyone, we'll continue to clear these corners. Peace,